0: To the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised.
1: G'day guys, Luke, Fly on the Wall podcast. I am going up into the cabin to do a bit of a musical journey for you guys. Oh, Heat is on. Lights are on, which is good. I've got my bangers and mash, and <clears throat> also got some uh, Penfolds Club Tawny Port. Should be a good night, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. Episode 163 A Musical Journey. So what am I banging on about a musical journey? Well, uh, let me explain a little bit further, I suppose. I guess I mean my own personal musical journey. Um, I'm flying solo tonight. It's just me, no big was. um, And I thought, what could I do? Um, Look, I'll be straight up with you. I wasn't feeling overly um, bouncing off the walls, kind of ADHD level of enthusiasm as I normally do for each and every episode. Um, but I still wanted to offer up something, and I took a leaf out of uh, Big Woz's book. Where he did an episode not so long ago where he was just real. He was just like, you know what? I, I'm in this mood, and this is the kind of approach I'm going to do with the podcast. I think we're all—I uh, was going to say guilty. We're all we all put on a face sometimes and put on a smiley face and. Um, we all, um, you know, have to wear a certain face to work or in front of the kids or to friends or to family or whatever. Um, and then sometimes I guess we get to really be real and become the complete assholes that we really are. (laughs) Nah, I'm just saying that there's no bells and whistles tonight, guys. It's just me, um, some port and, uh, and some music and a bit of a story. So I hope you join me. I hope you stick with it, um, and I hope you get something out of it. Um, And as I say, yeah, this is episode 163, My Musical Journey. Now, long-time followers of the show, listeners of the show may recall that um, I had my own dad on the show um, a while back, and he uh, shared his musical journey, which was extensive because he was born in 1950, um, and he's in his 72nd year, so he's, he's got a long history of uh, of musical interests and, and genres and stuff like that and stories to tell. Um, I am 43, so I've got my own extensive story, I suppose, as well, in a way. Um, I guess the difference is between me and Dad is that he really feels that in the 90s, it kind of came to a bit of a standstill. Not a standstill, but I guess he wasn't really exploring as much as, as far as any new music, new sounds or anything like that. He was very much backtracking and getting stuck into things like rockabilly. Um, occasionally I'll send him something new and, and contemporary uh, and he'll give it a listen and occasionally it's a hit and sometimes it's not so much a hit. Um, but yeah, every now and then I'll stumble across something and I'll send it over to him. But generally speaking, he's kind of you know stopped as far as searching for new sounds and new genres and blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas I feel like I'm still searching, still interested in exploring new sounds and genres, um, musical styles. Um, I, I don't know if it's because maybe um, I'm a musician as well. I, I, it feels weird to say that because it has a there's an air of arrogance with it, I suppose. But I don't mean it to sound anything like that. It's just that I have a bit of a knack um, for for putting music together um so i don't know if that's the reason why i am still searching still fascinated with things like it can be um it could be tribal music you know it could be um egyptian style music it could be um new new techno type sounds or whatever god i sound old but you know it could be anything really and i if it makes sound and it has the potential to be musical then i'm interested is what i'm saying i guess um So yeah, I really hope you uh, enjoy the episode. As I sort of said before, it's kind of just a straight up, very real um, episode um, with bits of music in there and you might learn something about me, you might learn something about music, uh, who knows? So we'll go to a uh, quick break and and we'll get stuck into episode 163 proper. just turned off the heater. Um, it's freezing tonight, guys. So I just want you to know how much of a hero I am for turning off the heater and freezing my nuts off just for the sake of good audio quality. For you. Yes, you. All right. <clears throat> so let's go all the way back. I was born in 1979. Um, it was a good year. Very good year. Um probably didn't start really understanding or listening to any kind of music until the early 80s when I was maybe three or four, whatever, three, four, five. And my dad um, would play, purposely play songs for me. He had a huge collection. Mum and dad had a huge collection of music, but he would purposely play songs for me that were, you know, ones that kids, young boys in particular maybe, might be a bit sexist, Would enjoy. There was one called Guitar Zan, which was brilliant. Um, (laughs) um, There was one called Big John, Big Bad John, I think it's called. I actually did a parody of it and did uh, Big Bad Was. Big Was, Big Was, that kind of thing. Um, And there was also one uh, by Johnny Horton um, called The Battle of New Orleans. And you got a picture this little kid on the rug on a Sunday afternoon with his toys with his soldiers spread all over the rug, um, and Dad playing this song to me and me just going, wow, this really helps me play with soldiers. (laughs) In 1814 we took a little trip Jackson down the Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took the little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans. We fired our guns and the British kept a gun. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it. down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. So, as a kid, I was introduced to music pretty early. Now, um, by, by the means of these types of songs. Now, Whereas my friends, and this, this was the case as a little kid and also as a teenager, as, 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 uh, as a kid, my parents played music most of the time. TV was for the evenings. Sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, we'd put on a movie or something like that. But generally, TV, movies, stuff like that was, was kept for the evenings. The rest of the time was music, whereas my, most of my friends, I imagine, um, it was TV, during the day, sports and stuff like that. My, I don't come from a sporting family at all, really. So growing up, um, it was just music constantly. I was, I was bombarded, <laughs> and I'm grateful for it, bombarded by a vast array of different genres of music. Mum and Dad had a beautiful range, a nice range of, you know, classic 50s and 60s rock and roll and doo-wop to... Country and Western and Reggae, um, so I was I was it was a privileged upbringing because I got to hear the Stones, I got to hear the Troggs, I got to hear Bob Marley, Led Zeppelin, uh, you know quite a quite an interesting eclectic mix of music, and this was all while I'm sitting on the rug playing with my cars, playing with my he men playing with my soldiers, <laughs> you know doing my thing, and in the background. The soundtrack to my young life was all these classic songs, these classic musicians, brilliant musicians. Um, And I don't don't know, I guess it ingrained itself in my psyche, you know? Like I said, I'm a little kid playing my toys, and I wasn't really listening, but I was listening, you know? Does that that make sense? Like uh, I was hearing the songs, but I wasn't absorbing them as much as I did later on. I suppose I also have uh, two older sisters. Um, one of which was very much into R and B of the day. You know, not <clears throat> excuse me, not the old school R and B so much, but more the modern day R and B. Well, modern day like eighties R and B, like TechnoTronic, um, MC Hammer, and Snap. You know, <laughs> I got the power. Um, <laughs> She was heavily into that at one time, my sister Julie. So I would hear that and obviously I looked up to her. So it was a case of like, wow, I just want to listen to whatever she's listening to because she's cool and I want to be cool as well. So I'm not ashamed to admit it. I would uh, get copies of these songs somehow, tape them from her or whatever I was doing. Um, or probably stealing her tapes, who knows, uh, <laughs> and uh, playing on my little cassette recorder in my bedroom and dancing to these songs. Now, I don't know, I was probably dancing like a maniac, um, but I, you know, I imagined that the window and the curtain was a stage, like the, the crowd was out there watching me bust a move <laughs> when I'm like seven, eight years old, nine years old, you know, loving it. Um <laughs> Yeah, so (laughs) that's weird that I admitted that. But, you know, it's all part of the journey. I guess looking back um, at those early years, um, it wasn't until much later in life that I really appreciated the fact that I was hearing all this fantastic music from such a young age. It really did embed itself in my psyche. I I can't explain it any better than that. It it became a part of me, just like, um, (laughs) you know, like... uh, watching some cool action movies like watching um war movies with my dad or watching uh, cowboy movies with dad or whatever you know these things have stayed with me as well and the music just became such a huge part of who i was and who i would become i i guess if you want to get philosophical about it in a way um now, I was listening to, obviously, such a range of music, but there, there was a lot of love songs in there, a lot of um, heartbreak songs. You know, the typical boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy breaks up with girl, and vice versa. You know, it, it was just this roundabout of, of emotional, um, <laughs> interesting, lovey-dovey songs that didn't maybe have a lot of depth, but they were still cool and they still implanted themselves in my brain. Just like this one from The Platters. When the
0: twilight is gone Ah. And no songbirds are singing Ah. When the twilight is gone Ah. You come into my heart Ah. And here in my heart you will stay why pray My is to with you
1: Now one band that always seemed to be on the record player or the radio at, at least a few times a week were the Rolling Stones. This was because they're my dad's all-time favourite band and Fast became mine as I, as I got older and really started to appreciate music, rock and roll and The Stones. Mum being more of a, a mod back in the day, uh, dad was a rocker, mum was a mod. Look it up, people. Uh, she preferred bands like The Beatles, um, which are obviously fantastic as well. But one thing I learned very early on uh, from both of these bands was that many of their songs were covers of old blues songs originating from the United States. And that captivated me. From a young age, I was like, oh, wow. So just because they're singing and playing a song on the radio doesn't mean it's theirs. It doesn't mean that they came up with it. They're doing essentially what was a cover. Obviously, they um, bands like the Stones would uh, would make it their own, you know, uh, more often than not. Um, their own sort of style, their own sort of flair added to it to make it a little bit more contemporary or a bit rocked up or whatever they want to do, um, and brought it to the masses—the screaming teens in in the UK. Now, as a young fella, that that was a light going off in my head. It really was. I can't. I can't. Um I can't explain it exactly, but it was like <laughs> like a feeling of like, oh, wow. So I could copy songs. I could uh, try and do something with a song or something like that. I remember the feeling of like, okay, so... There's 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 a backstory to these things, whereas like a lot of the movies, unless they're a remake, a lot of movies you see they're they're a standalone movie. You know, Die Hard was Die Hard and Predator was Predator and all that kind of thing. There wasn't this backstory to them that had been done before. Yes, you know we got remakes these days, but I don't know. It, it was yeah, I can't I can't explain it, but it was like a a wow moment of okay, so this is cool, and obviously it it. Piked my interest. I was like, okay, so who are these, who are these blues people then that are writing the original versions of these songs? And therefore I was introduced to blues music from a very young age. And one of the very first, I remember that one of the very first CDs that I bought from like a bargain basement bin from you know the local record shop as a 14 or 15-year-old was a blues compilation where I discovered the amazing, the amazing voice. Of Howlin' Wolf and his song, Smokestack Light, Smoke Lightning. Um, absolutely incredible. Uh, it's blues, but it's it, his gravelly voice just takes you somewhere else. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but uh, Howlin' Wolf said, because th- he'd been performing and playing the song since the mid-late 30s, 1930s, I think it was. Um, so quite a while, 20 odd years of performing it before it was properly recorded. Um, and, and Wolf himself said the song was inspired by watching trains in the night. Uh, and I quote, we used to sit out in the country and see the trains go by, watch the sparks come out of the smokestack. That was smokestack lightning. So yeah, this, <laughs> this song has got on to, gone on to be one of my all time favorite blues songs and I hope you enjoy it too. Yay! Hey.
0: Wall, baby, it's here to stay. That's right. Fly on the wall, my boy. It's here to stay. Come on, sing it. Fly on the wall. Come on, dear. a motherfucker. Yeah.
1: Now, a couple of years earlier, um, before I really discovered blues, Um, I watched a video with Dad, and it featured Jerry Lee Lewis, a.k.a. The Killer, which is funny, actually, because um, he allegedly killed two of his wives, but that's another story. (laughs) Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah, so sorry, yeah, watched him play Great Balls of Fire at some live gig, and uh, he literally set fire to his piano and as a young fella, I'm sitting there, 11, 12 years old, whatever, whatever I was, I was young, I'm sitting there watching it, and I loved the song, full stop, I, you know, dad had played it many, many times before, and I always enjoyed the song, mum was a fan of Jerry Lee Lewis too, and, but there he was setting fire to his piano, and I guess before that, before witnessing that, I'd always, sort of in the back of my mind, I'd always thought, guitars, they're the cool instrument in a band, you know, just By default, guitars are cool, you know. But when I saw this, I was captivated. As a young fella sitting there, I was absolutely blown away at, one, the sound that he was getting out of the piano and his style of playing. I mean, he would jump up, knock the the seat down, standing up, playing piano, his blonde hair waving around like a madman, it was crazy, and then, he, and then he set fire to the whole thing. It was like the ultimate, you know, conclusion <laughs> to that song. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Coolest thing I'd seen. Anyway, so that year, I, I literally begged mum and dad for a keyboard. I just, I don't know what it was. I had visions of grandeur, thinking, I could do that. <laughs> I could set fire. <laughs> it sounds crazy. I could set fire to a piano and have a great time doing it and sing a song while I'm doing it. I don't know. Maybe not that, but something, excuse the pun, but something sparked in me. Something made me go, I want to have a go at that. Um, And I figured a piano would be far too expensive. Uh, So, yeah, I asked mum and dad for for a keyboard and I was lucky enough to get a small Casio keyboard for Christmas. I'm talking, this was probably... Oh, maybe 40 centimeters long, just over a foot long, you know. And I guess that was the start of my fascination with making music. I'd been listening to music for the last, you know, dozen years. And then suddenly I literally had this thing at my fingertips and I could tinker with it. Now, I found out, much to my surprise, and I I suspect to everyone else around me, um, that I could, I had a bit of a knack. I could listen to a piece of music, and then find the right notes, keys on the keyboard. Um, now, now bear with me, guys. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really being careful not to blow my own trumpet. Again, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just seemed to be this. It, it came easy to me. It, it was a simple thing. Like again, this is sort of hard to explain, but it was like. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It was like uh, walking a straight line. I didn't understand why no one else could do it. Um, Anyway, one of the first songs I learned was uh, Love Me Tender by Elvis Presley. And I remember mum being completely shocked and asking how long it took me to learn it. And I said, I don't know, like five minutes. And she sort of raised her eyebrows and she tested me by finding another tune. I can't remember um, what it was now. But she found another song and said, okay, copy this one. And I did. Within minutes, I, I listened to the song, I found the notes, and I just played it. Um, and like I said, it, for me, it was just very straightforward, very simple sort of thing. I was, and and I, I guess, and again, not to sound arrogant, but I was, I was shocked that no one else in my family or close circle sort of thing at that particular time could do that. Like I was like, how can you not, how can you not hear it? How can you not hear it? I remember saying that. And I guess, <laughs> this is a bit, a bit cheesy, but I guess it was the first time that I felt special, that I felt I could do something, me, Luke, could do something that no one else could. And it was, I don't know, it was a kind of a, <laughs> a magic feeling. Um, yeah, I, I guess it uh, made me feel a certain way, you know, and that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Now, sadly, uh, unfortunately, I had no real interest uh, in music at school. I um, so year seven, you know, first year of high school, uh, and the first few years, and forever really through high school, um, I didn't really have an interest. Well, I I guess I did. Actually, yeah, I I did, but I think I was too self-conscious. I was too shy. I didn't, I, deep down, I wanted to have a go, especially on the drums. As soon as I saw the drums and heard the drums live, like in the classroom, I was like, wow, I really want to have a go. But for whatever reason, for, I just didn't have the balls or whatever you want to call it. I just, I didn't. Um, and the school I went to, um, it was a rough school the first few years of high school before it merged into another school. It was a rough and tough school, and, and I guess it was seen as a bit geeky to play guitar you know, or play acoustic guitar like during lunch break or um, tap on the drums with the music be- with the school band and, you know, but <laughs> so I, I, I kick it myself now because I never learnt to read music either. I never learnt the theory um, and now I wish I really had pursued it, uh, uh, you know, really been driven with it because I know it would have, again, not to sound arrogant, but I, I, I know it would have come pretty naturally to me if, you know, and if I had the, if I had the gift or the talent, whatever you want to call it, plus the um, theoretical training, then who knows, you know, I could have gone into producing and anyway, I didn't choose that. And instead I sort of just, you know, didn't bother with music. And I, I, now I'm absolutely baffled as to why I paid attention to my own nerves or self-consciousness or whatever, and didn't just go, Fuck it! I'm going to pick up the drumsticks and just have a go, Um, because yeah, eventually, uh, when I did, it it changed my life. It really did. Um, Anyway, as my as my collections uh, as my collection of CDs uh, grew, I started reading the lyrics on the inside. So for those of you millennials out there who may be not aware and you're so used to Spotify and YouTube and all these other music things, but we used to buy CDs, <laughs> much like the older generation used to buy records. And the paper inner a slip thing um, would have notes like, uh, you know, who produced it and who the band members are and what they played on the album and if there was any guest musicians and all that kind of thing. But there was also often... Um, uh, the lyrics were all included as well for each song. And that fascinated me. So I could sit there, literally sit there in my bedroom, on my bed, listening to these songs, these old blues songs or rock and roll songs or modern day songs, whatever it was, and follow along with the lyrics. And I started at that time going, oh, maybe I could uh, string some words together. So I kind of, (laughs) I wish I had them still today. But I started to string together little poems um, and little songs and limericks or whatever you want to call them. And they're all pretty juvenile and, you know, but it was kind of fun and I found that I could easily um, make things rhyme, you know, and I tried to push myself a little bit as much as a young kid could. And then I would try to come up with my own tunes on the keyboard and then try (laughs) uh, to roughly sing over the top of them um yeah so there was a couple of years there where i was sort of dabbling with uh, the casio keyboard and trying to sing my own little ditties over the top of them um but then when i was 14 i suddenly heard this song
0: Were you trying to get crazy with i don't you know i'm loco <laughs>
1: The don't make me check like general electric. Yeah, the lights are blinking, I'm thinking it's all over when I go out drinking. Oh, making my mind
0: slow. That's why I don't with the big foot bro. Oh, bro. I got to maintain Cause a like me is going insane. insane.
1: insane in the membrane <laughs> by cypress hill uh, it was it was something i'd never heard of before uh, a style of music i'd never heard before and it really did blow my mind my young mind was just like wow this is i loved the bass the bass vibrated through my whole body the drums were pretty basic but they they bumped along um the main lyric, the main vocalist, sorry, uh, very nasal, but cool. And then you had the other dude coming in doing his section as well, which was a completely different timbre to his voice, Uh, more of a gruff, deeper sort of sound, and the two just bounced off each other perfectly. And I don't know, I just went, wow, this is brilliant, and went out and got the album, Um, Black Friday, the the album's called. I think it was their Cypress Hill's second album. And loved and still love every single song on that album it was uh it's like a dark hip-hop album and and again it was different from anything i'd heard you know at the at the that precise time i was still listening to everything from technotronic uh to elvis presley so it was you know a bit of an interesting mix you know nothing wrong with that but this was completely different to my young mind. I'd never heard anything quite like it. And I was hooked, hooked line and sinker straight away. And I, I bought that album, as I say, and I listened to it on repeat over and over and over again. At the time, as a 14-year-old kid, I didn't really understand the lyrics. It was talking about uh, drugs and drug paraphernalia and gangs and women and all sorts of stuff. But I, I didn't really... I had a vague understanding, but I didn't really grasp the concept. And plus there was a lot of sort of, I guess, um, now this is layman terms, but there was like gang lingo, I imagine. (laughs) Now as a, as a, as a, um, you know, a fairly sheltered, um, kid in the suburbs of Australia, (laughs) I didn't really know what gang life was like or anything like that. But the music just spoke to me. It just, it was just so cool. And, Being young and impressionable, suddenly my clothes got baggier. (laughs) Suddenly I was wearing baseball caps, you know. Suddenly I was trying to develop (laughs) some sort of style clothing-wise. And I I look back at photos now and go, wow, I I had no idea what I was doing. Look, to be honest, I probably have still no, no, no idea when it comes to fashion, but... Yeah, I look back there and go, Jesus, like, it wasn't really me. You know, the music was definitely me, but the look wasn't wasn't really me at all. The next big change for me uh, musically, I guess, um, came when I started to listen to a band called Nirvana. I can't remember where I was or what I was doing when I first heard it, but I actually heard the In Utero album first, Um, but not long later, you know, listened to Nevermind and was hooked from from that point forward. The music was angry. It was angsty. um, The band members were a little bit wild and kooky and funny, especially Kurt Cobain, of course. And I don't know. They and the music just spoke to me. Um, now, this was at a time, this was, um, I think, early... Oh, it might have been... Actually, it might have been sort of mid-1994 to late-1994. Um, now, Kurt Cobain actually took his own life in April 1994, so I was a bit late to the party, but... I don't know. Once I found them, um, especially uh, myself and the gorgeous Glenn, um, a regular guest on the Flying the Wall podcast. Um, yeah, especially us two, we, we really got stuck into it. We ended up reading a book um, released not long after Kirk Cobain's death called Come As You Are, after the song and I remember sitting on Glenn's bed and we sort of had a bit of a chit-chat about, the, about the, uh, the book and about the band and the music and all that kind of thing and we kind of just looked at each other and said, so, you know, bear in mind, we're both sort of wearing baggy clothes and hats <laughs> and we sort of looked at each other and just went, did, did you want to go grunge? And overnight, literally overnight, we went grunge. <laughs> explored grunge music through and through, um, like a horny, pimply boy possessed. <laughs> I really did. Um, I was listening to uh, a lot of Nirvana, obviously, um, and backtracked their albums and discovered Bleach, their first album, was, and was blown away by that. It was a lot heavier, and I, I enjoyed the heaviness of that album a lot. Um, you know, Soundgarden, um oh, the Lemonheads, uh, you know, Pearl Jam, um, the list goes on. Uh, Alice in Chains, you know, like, like so many, so many great bands came out of that, that particular era, uh, you know, early, mid-90s. Uh, it was brilliant. It was absolutely a brilliant time to be a teenager growing up listening to angsty music, you know. Um, I started writing diaries um <laughs> uh and uh you know right, c- continuing with my poems and little songs and little notes on life and philosophies and all that kind of shit. I was I was the quintessential teenager, angsty teenager, you know, long hair, didn't give a shit, you know, but deep down I kinda did. <laughs> um yeah and my musical tastes um after about probably about a good solid year i would say my my musical taste suddenly started getting a bit heavier straight pretty much straight into like my friends of mine like big was and glenn they were they were always into like guns and roses uh, and metallica um For me, they hadn't quite hit the mark for me yet, but then I went from listening to, you know, what I guess in a way is fairly soft music like grunge, edgy, but soft compared to hardcore metal. I went from listening to that straight into this.
0: Motherfucking
1: Podcast. That song, Walk by Pantera, came from a, an album called Far Beyond Driven. And I must have listened to that cassette. <laughs> so like an old school tape cassette. I mustn't I must have listened to that over and over again well over a thousand times i remember it i listened to it so much now again this is for the old school listeners not so much the new school listeners i listened to it so much that the tape began to hiss to get a hiss kind of sound that means the actual tape was wearing out like it was getting you know far beyond driven (laughs) ah see what it did there yeah pretty clever anyway so that was my that was my introduction to harder edged music, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really it, it spoke to me just as much as uh, Cypress Hill did, just as much as Hal and Wolf did. Um, there was something about it that got me pumped. It was it was aggressive as well. Like you know I, w- I was full of testosterone <laughs> and um, and hormones all over the place. Everything you know uh, as a teenager and. I was 15, 16 at this time, and I, I don't know, it made me want to just go, like, scream. It made me want to jump. It made me want to punch. It made me want to run. It was cool. It was energetic. It was, yeah, it was gritty. It was savage. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Anyway, it was around this time that me, Big Was, the gorgeous Glenn, and the little Keith, our, you know, our two buddies, our brothers who uh, often join us on the show, We decided to form a band. So we were 16 years old in year 11, I think it was, decided to form a band. I remember there being um, a lot of (laughs) deliberation over the name. At one point, uh, little Keith wanted to call the band The Red Hoods, and he had visions of us coming out on some bright stage wearing red hoods. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> we ended up going with the name skirmish quite possibly because I was at the time I was obsessed with the idea of playing paintball, um, one day. And, uh, at the time it was also that paintball was also known as skirmishing. So we settled on that name. Um, now uh, I might've told this story once before on the podcast, a couple of times maybe, but I'll tell you again, God damn it. Um, so uh, I was going to play because I played keyboards. I was going to play keyboards in the band. I wasn't over the moon about it, but one of them, one of my mates sort of said, well, you've got to think about the keyboards and the organs in bands like The Doors or uh, uh, Faith No More. And I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I guess it can still be cool as a 16-year-old guy in a sort of a punky, grungy band. <laughs> I don't know. I I wasn't over the moon about it. Um, And Glenn was going to play drums. Now, he went home, asked his parents if he could get a drum kit and play it, and they said, hell no, (laughs) absolutely not. So that gave me a window of opportunity to go home and ask my parents and said, you know, could I get a drum kit and have a bash? And obviously I've been playing this keyboard every single day pretty much. I throw myself into the drums, you know, really sold the idea to them. And uh, uh, very thankfully they, they agreed. They said, yeah, they, they, they gave me some rules. They said, um, you know, you've got to let the neighbours know and you, you can only play at a certain time after school for a certain amount of time and... And that was all fair to me. I thought, yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, neighbor, last thing neighbours want to hear is boom,
0: tsh, boom, boom
1: tsh, at 10 o'clock at night, you know, on a weeknight. So I completely understood, um, obeyed the rules, all that kind of stuff. I said, yep, yep, no worries. Found a guy at school who was selling a sh- the shittiest drum kit you've ever seen. Um, it was blue. It was metallic blue. That was cool. But it was a piece of shit <laughs> um, the bass drum was only one, I can't remember the size, but it was a smaller size. Um, I think it only had one tom, one snare drum. The snare drum was cheap, like cheap and nasty. had a real kind of like it sounded like you were you had a spatula and you were hitting a tin foil tray. It was kind of like a pff, 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 to the snare rather than a pff, 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 pff. <laughs> Um, anyway it you know what I didn't care it was a drum kit and it was the start of something incredible for me um, now I took the uh, I took the drum kit home picked it up from school took it home um, set it up in the garage and I was super excited um, sat down behind it and I was like uh, what do I do do <laughs> I was completely lost, so I ended up. Go- I sort of banged around a bit, and sort of really had. I was completely naive; like I had no understanding of what I was meant to do. Was I meant to play tunes? You know, I didn't have the faintest idea what I was supposed to do. Was sitting behind a drum kit. I think I I put my foot on the on the bass drum on the kick pedal, and I just dun 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 dun. I did that for ages, you know. Just dun, 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 and then maybe threw in a snare as well. Anyway, (laughs) I ended up going to the local library, as you did back in the day, and I, I hired a video, a VHS video and it was a half an hour video. I'll never forget. It was like made in the mid 80s and the guy was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, an American fella. He had a big mustache. He had uh, like big, big, like like aviator style glasses, but they were like reading glasses, you know, huge, these things. Like think like Elton John, huge. And anyway, he sat me down. <laughs> I sat, I, I watched the video, sat down with him, watched this video with him and uh, and he went through the basics. He did the basic. Um, rock beat just a one two three four one two three four and that's really all I took from the video it was very very basic but that was enough I went down went back down to, into the garage sat behind the drum kit and did exactly what he told me to do one two three four one two three four so that kind of thing um, very simple very very slow probably completely out of time but you know what it was a start. <laughs> And I was happy. I was excited. I was as happy as a pig in shit. And what I started to do after that, now, I'm not one for uh – Learning you know the traditional ways, I suppose <laughs> I could have read a whole bunch of books, all that kind of stuff, could have got more videos from the library, who knows, but i didn 't do any of that instead, I thought, well, I can hear music, I can like I did with the keyboard, I can hear it, and then I can replicate it, so maybe I could do that with the drums as well, in a different sort of way, instead of playing a tune, I was playing beats, so I started to explore some songs, um, and the one the first one that stood out to me. As far as a cool drum drum beat that I could uh, emulate um, was this one called American Girl by Tom Petty. Now listen to the drums at the beginning or pretty much all the way through but especially at the beginning when it's clearer. So a fairly straightforward beat, um, but a little complicated. Um, I started to listen to as many bands as I possibly could, and I tried to. Now, some people can do this, it seems, and some people can't. But I could, I could manage to isolate the drums in my in my head, <laughs> laying there, walking around, whatever I was doing in the house. You know, I, I could sit there, focus, and isolate just the drums. I could hear the hi hat. I could hear the splash cymbal, I could hear the bass drum, I could hear the snare, the toms, everything. I could isolate it away from the guitars, bass, vocals, backing vocals, keyboards, whatever was going on. I could just hear the drums and I would listen to a piece of music and then try to replicate it. Listen to another song, the beats, and try to replicate it over and over again. I think... Initially, I got settled, a little bit settled in my comfort zone, I suppose. And then little Keith, bless his cotton socks, he pushed me by saying, mate, you always play the same beat. (laughs) And that was enough for me to go, yeah, he's right. I need to push myself and make sure I step up. And I think I did very in... in, in, um, Baby steps, I did. <laughs> now, I, not long after that, not long after that kind of period in time, I discovered a band called Snot. Now, you ask anyone, pretty much anyone, no one's ever heard of this band, Snot. Again, it was like I did with the blues compilation disc back in the day. This was another bargain basement bin find, and it was just like, wow, this is absolutely brilliant. Why had I never heard of this band before? And the reason was the lead singer had passed away after the very first album had been released, so very sad. And they never, they, they sort of tried a little bit um, after that, but they never really hit the same sort of magic as they did in their first album called Get Some. The very first song on the, on the album is called Snot. It's, it's the title album, title song, sorry. And there's a, a drum solo in the middle um, that is absolutely brilliant and masterful in every single way. And it's one of my all-time favourite drum solos. I'll play it for you in a second. Um, I've tried to isolate the, the solo as much as possible, but there is a bit of the song. Actually, no, bugger it. I'll play the whole first part of the song You'll hear the drum solo and then it'll kind of end after that. The bass in this particular song, and actually the whole album is really, really funky and cool as well. The whole the band is a mix of sort of punk metal um, mixed with some funk. It's such a brilliant album, probably one of my all-time favorite favorite albums. So the band is snot. The album is called Get Some and yeah, do yourself a favor and go and find it and listen to it. But pay careful attention to this drum solo.
0: Say something for the record. Tell the people what you feel. Yeah. Fuck the record! And fuck the people! Yeah. Stop! You once again, my
1: like the did you hear it? Did you hear the drum solo or did you skip ahead? <laughs> I don't blame you if you did. Look, the audio quality on the songs isn't amazing. It's the best I can do. I'm, I'm, I'm recording from YouTube, so it's not great. I don't know how else to do it because I'm not that bloody tech savvy, all right? Just ease up. Don't give me a hard time. Go email your local MP about it. You are listening to Fly in the Wall podcast. As you've probably noticed, Big Was isn't here. I am missing the big, missing the big fella. But, um, yeah, duty calls, family matters cool. Uh, family always matters first, obviously, and uh, he's doing what he has to do. Um, but I want to give a big shout-out to him and his family. Um, I'm thinking of all of them at this time. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can by just typing into the search thing on Instagram. Uh <laughs> <laughs> fly on the wall podcast 1 one with an underscore between each of the words not the number if you'd like to email us it's the fly on the wall podcast 11 at gmail.com you can send complaints you can send uh, topic suggestions you can send photos of your dad's bollocks um, you can send us a playlist of songs that you'd like us to peruse. You can pretty much send us anything and everything you want. We've had people send us stories about cucks. We've had people send us photos of them on the toilet. Um, we've had people send us uh, cool little things to play on, on the show. It's brilliant, you know. So so feel free to email us anything you want. We're, we're open to all of it. Um, we especially hope that someone sends in a complaint because we'd love to read that on air and have a good laugh. Um, <laughs> now, Back to the musical journey in episode 163. So after discovering bands like Snot, for example, and getting pretty heavy with other bands like Pantera, I eventually stumbled across a band and a a completely different style of music uh, called Sepultura, who had a a metal tribal sound. I believe they originate from Brazil and their sound is like none other. It's, it, well, I'm guessing there's, there's copycats now, but back in the day, in the 90s, um, this band stood out because they were heavy as all hell, but they they incorporated traditional tribal drums, and it was amazing. For me, as someone, a fledgling drummer, um, it was really exciting to hear. I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm learn- I've just learned the basic rock beat, And then now I'm hearing these crazy, wild, hardcore, tribal drums. And it was, yeah, it it flicked a switch for me. It was really cool because I guess the main thing is it sort of opened my mind up to percussion in general. You know, like I could use my drumsticks and pretty much smash anything and make a a cool beat or a sound that we could potentially record, add to the band or whatever. So I guess it kind of... Planted a seed there for me. Anyway, I bought, ended up buying every single Sepultura album that was available at the time, uh, which led me to an album called Chaos AD, which is a, a sort of a remix album of theirs. And when I say remix, um, it, it, it basically incorporated electronica uh, into their, you know, uh, um, or, or original sort of metal hardcore songs, and that blew my mind. Um and from there it wasn't long before I found white zombie slash rob zombie um the band and the guy behind the band um he or slash they became one of my all time favorites uh they they mix metal with electronica but also samples um now if you don't know what samples are it's basically a uh a snippet. Of something. So it could be a snippet from a movie, could be a snippet from another song, could be a snippet from a newsreel, anything really, a a radio broadcast or anything like that. And they they incorporate that into the song and make it part of the song, part of the magic. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's brilliant. And uh, one of my all time favorite songs from White Zombie is Supercharger Heaven.
0: Jamingus from Instagram and you are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Luke and Big Waz. Check out Jamingus on Instagram for some free stickers at J A M I N G U S underscore. And don't stop listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast. Peace.
1: So meanwhile, um, behind the scenes, I suppose. Um, away from all the heavy, chaotic music. (laughs) Um, and my judgmental mates? No, they wouldn't have cared. They always knew I was pretty weird. Um, I was also exploring other things like old country music, like Hank Williams and Johnny Cash. And a little old school jazz, like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. Um, yeah, a complete contrast to Sepultura, Rob Zombie, uh, Metallica, you know, all these kind of heavier bands, Pantera that I was listening to. Slipknot as well, another big, big one for me, especially the drums. I was hungry for, um... For all types of music, I guess, and loved the fact that there was so much to explore. Loved the fact I would never get my fill. You know what I mean? Like there was always something new and exciting to find. There was always something new being released as well. So I had all this back catalogue of music to still dive into, but also had all this um, current stuff that was being released too. So I I was a kid in a candy shop. As far as the band Skirmish was going, we'd settled on a punk metal sort of sound, which, um, although very amateurish, was actually quite good. I think think the best part about it for all of us was that we were doing something, for one, um, but two, it was actually sounding like music. We were making cohesive songs. Simple ones, of course, but they had verses and choruses and even the odd solo here and there. The songwriting was all quite juvenile, but fun all the same. Um, we were sixteen, so we had songs like "Eat Me," which was all about oral sex. <laughs> uh, we had some more heartfelt ones, uh, well, sort of, um, like uh, like our song "Lost Rabbit," which was more about uh, which was about a friend of mine um, who had moved away. A friend of mine called Thymon. Um, the main thing was it was shitloads of fun and kept us out of trouble. Um, well, some of the time, I guess, um, <laughs> as well as the songs, uh, lots and lots of songs, really. Um, I started, I was, I was still heavily involved in writing diaries. I, I was constantly, um, had my head in these books. Um, uh, and I guess the subject matter would sometimes get a little dark, Uh, Mostly sort of angst stuff um, that a lot of teenagers went through, go through, but also lots of other things as well going on in my personal life. I found writing it down helped me, um, but then I started adding some of the diary content into songs, which kind of helped even more. Um, Yeah, it was weird. It was around this time that I started listening to a lot of Marilyn Manson as well now he's in the he's in the newspapers at the moment uh for being a bit of a cockhead, so I won't say much about him and I won't play any of his songs but um needless to say, listening to that type of music shit got even darker for a while there for me um for better or worse uh, but I you know it kept my mind buzzing. Towards the end of the '90s, uh, grunge had been left on the shelf, and Skirmish had disbanded. Unfortunately, we had a good we had a good slog though. We had a good run. Uh, we had a few gigs under our belt, but it um, uh, it did certainly lit a fuse inside me. Like I, I, I enjoyed performing. I enjoyed being in a band. I enjoyed making music. There were a couple of years there where I found myself listening to more obscure sort of music, I suppose you'd describe it. Um, bands like the Eels, the Butthole Surfers, um, and artists like Beck. Um, quirkier, sort of, yeah, out of the square, out of the box kind of music. And it was interesting to me. I liked the simplicity. Say, say the Eels, for example. Um I like the simplicity of the music, but the intricacy of the lyrics. I like how they sort of strung their words together. So I guess it was around that period that I was developing my writing, inverted commas, skills. (laughs) Um, Yeah, trying trying to... push myself lyrically even though there was no band um i i don't know i was still writing i i mean i would go to work and um i would come home uh, you know work all day but come home from work and my pockets would be filled with these scrap notes of lyric ideas vocals and song ideas and all sorts of things poems and yeah just yeah m- literally my my pockets were full of these, these notes, you know, it was madness. Anyway, around 2003, Metallica released their album, Saint Anger. And I know this is quite controversial, but for me, it was the standout album for Metallica. <laughs> I can hear my, I can, I can hear my friends Rolling their eyes right now, but yeah for me. I don't know there was something really raw and fresh about it It, it sounded like they went into a garage press record and let the magic happen. It was it was visceral, you know It was great Really tangible gritty shit, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that album um, And suddenly I found myself Really wanting to get behind a drum kit again. So it had been a few years since the first band had ended, skirmish. Uh, Some of us had married, bought homes, had kids. But suddenly we were back in the rehearsal studio with a slight change. Keith didn't join us, for example. I was singing. (laughs) And a weird dude called Kaz was on the drums. What the shits? (laughs) here I was wanting to get behind the drum kit and I wasn't behind the drum kit (laughs) crazy we had two rehearsals um sorry he had two rehearsals with us um which was great we had so much fun we thought there was you know real chemistry there um we were buzzing it felt amazing Um, my singing wasn't amazing to be honest but I think I held my own and Then Kaz dumped us like a bag of shit. Um, He was off. He was done. He couldn't be bothered. He wasn't interested. And we were probably pretty heartbroken. Uh, (laughs) What were we to do? Quit? Nah. We sort of pushed on in our... uh, um, The best we could. (laughs) I bought an 8-track digital recorder that actually produced a CD too. Wow. It was the best thing. Um, So you could record up to eight tracks, and then you could also bounce them and turn it into 16 tracks, but that got a bit confused with all that kind of thing. Um, And it was fantastic. And at the end of it, we had a CD as well. It actually print out a CD for us. So it was cutting edge as far as we were concerned. Um, The Gorgeous Glen was on bass. I was back behind the drum kit finally, and Big Stoic Was was crunching out some cool guitar riffs as per usual. After recording the music, i 'd try and add some vocals with the var- with varying levels of success. Then uh, sadly um, i won 't go into too much detail, but the gorgeous Glenn had some personal family things he really needed to uh, be present for and take care of, and obviously, Big Was and I were understanding and supportive of of that. Um, like I said, I won't go into it too much, but it, but it changed the game as far as the band went. And, and obviously that came, like I mentioned before, family first. So the band was secondary anyway. Warren and I sort of pushed ahead though, but we couldn't really do the punk metal thing. Um, we didn't have a bass player. Uh, I was sort of doing some drum stuff, but really, um, we kind of evolved into this weird, soft, quirky uh, acoustic duo. It, we, it was kind of cool, but at the same time, it didn't really feel a hundred percent like us. Um, yeah, and then Warren and something really cool happened. Warren Big Was went to the Pyramid Rock Festival, which is a sort of a blues and roots festival here in Australia, and discovered. Ash Grunwald.
0: Two, three four. let me see you shake that
1: Ash Grunwald, for people not in the know is an Australian bloke who's uh, essentially a one-man band now big was was blown away gobsmacked by seeing this guy because he had a an epiphany. He had a realisation that just because it's one man with an acoustic guitar doesn't mean it can't be a big and heavy sound. Ash Grunwald plays a stomp box. So essentially a wooden box with drum pedals attached to it and he's got a boom,
0: boom, 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 boom,
1: boom, boom sound to it and then playing rock and heavy, slightly distorted guitar over the top. Absolutely brilliant. So Warren came to me full of excitement, and when Warren's excited, I'm excited, (laughs) let's just say, and he said, oh, he told me all about Ash Grimwald, told me all about Pyramid Rock Festival, and he also told me he's going to build a stomp box, and I was a bit, I guess I was a little bit dubious, so I was a bit like, I don't really know what you're talking about, but I'll go with it, sure, no worries. Anyway, sometime later, he turned up with this wooden box uh, made of plywood, uh, with some drum pedals attached and uh some uh, little tiny cymbals you know it's what obviously you know what a tambourine is guys um the little jingly bits in the tambourine he'd he'd found some of those and attached them um i think it was that actually or was it like a uh, a flappy bit of plywood i'm not sure now but it was cool either way he <laughs> he managed to replicate a bass drum sound boom and a snare sound or and it was cool, it was cool so and then he was playing some rocking guitar over the top of it, of course. so what I realized was that my vocals, so uh, with the band before, when the gorgeous Glen was involved, I kind of did a weird sort of uh strained, husky singing, and it it didn't really feel like me. It didn't feel natural um and then when with the weird quirky odd shit that me and Warren were doing my vocals were a lot softer, gentler. Um, With this new stomp box and the heavier acoustic guitar that Warren was playing, I had to find something else. I had to find my voice. I had to find my strength, the strength in my voice, the voice that you can hear right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had to to project it. I, I couldn't sing into my chest anymore. I had to like, bah, I had to get it out there, you know, to match... The volume that Big Was was creating with his guitar and his uh, stompbox. So, uh, bit by bit, we started to develop some songs, and eventually, Eleven, so the punk metal band called Eleven, E11EVEN, slowly evolved into a, a blues and roots, Ash Grunwaldy esque kind of sound. So we still had the influence of grunge and and Warren being a huge metal fan, he still had that influence as well. There was my influence coming from things like uh, the blues music and, and 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 reggae and all sorts of other stuff that that had influenced me over the years. Um, and we became this two-piece blues and roots rock slash rock um duo, uh, you know, a band. We were a band and it was cool and we were having fun and we'd jam every every now and then or once a week at least and all that kind of thing. And for the next little while, we just sort of got together in the garage at my house or at his house and we jammed. We played these songs that we sort of collected that I'd written. I'd written the lyrics, sorry, and he'd written the music um, and we'd give ideas and go, we could do this and we could do that. And that's kind of where we sat for a while, uh, very comfortably, until Warren rang me up one day and said, I've booked us in to an open mic night at a local tavern. Um, And I won't lie to you, people, I got the runs straight away. My stomach liquefied, and I said, yep, no worries. I got off the phone quick smart, went to the toilet and unloaded my bowels. (laughs) I was so nervous. I I really was. I was... uh, I, I, these days, uh, years later, I wouldn't say I'm the nervous type at all. Like I, I seize the day, you know. I'm very much like uh, shy people miss out. That's my mantra. And uh, but at that particular time, I was like, oh my god, I was excited, but at the same time, I was like, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. But B was had booked it in, so it kind of had to happen. And you know what? This was back in war. Oh, 2008 may 2008 so a long time ago now 14 years ago jesus um and that particular night i still my stomach was full of butterflies i was really nervous um warren actually surprised me by um buying a, a jimbe which is a tall bongo drum for me to play as a bit of percussion while he sat on his box i would play this jimbe um We got up on stage. Uh, Actually, before that, I was in the bathroom and I had a real sort of Eminem moment, eight mile moment where I'm sort of standing, staring in the mirror in the bathroom thinking, shit, can I do this? Can I actually go out and sing songs that mean a lot to me? Um, The words, the lyrical content. um, Can I, can I, be vulnerable. can I put myself out on a stage in front of strangers? We had some friends and family in the audience as well, of course, which is brilliant. but it was also well, lots lots of blank faces that I didn't know and I was well out of my comfort zone. and big was too, of course. like you know, it was all fresh and new to him too. so both of us. but there was there was a feeling of comfort knowing that it was me and him, you know, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just him. It was us together, two brothers together on stage. Facing off against the world, you know, epic. <laughs> um, and it went perfectly. It was actually a really, really great night. I was definitely nervous. I definitely didn't have the confidence that I have now and that, and that I developed over, year, over the next the course of the next few years playing gigs together, talking to the audience, interacting. You know, I didn't do any of that that night. I just sort of like, said, hi, we're 11. My name's Luke. This is Warren. <laughs> and off we went with our songs. We played, I think, four or five songs. Um, and it was so much fun. It was, it was a great reception from the audience. They, they really kind of dug what we were doing. And we couldn't be happier. It was, yeah, we, we thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. <sighs> So, over the next few years, so from 2008 when we first had that open mic night to 2014, Big Was and I and our band, Eleven, E-1-1, E-V-E-N, <laughs> oh yeah, side note, we called it Eleven because we were both born on the same day, January the 11th, 1979, he also lived at number 11 and I lived at number 11, Eleven just seemed very prominent in our lives. Over the course of those years, uh, whatever it was, uh, hang on, six years, um, we recorded an album with our good friend Danny. We gigged and we had what I always call mediocre local success. (laughs) For a a band that was... um, mostly, like, 95% original. We had a few covers in there as well, a few, you know, crowd pleasers, but generally speaking, we were an original band, and I don't know, there's something to be, I know I'm big known here, but I'm proud of the fact that we were an original band, and we were having gigs every second weekend, pretty much. At one time, we could have easily have done every weekend at one time, to be honest, but we have families, so we couldn't do that. And that's okay. Um, family first, again. But every second weekend, Big Was and I meet up, get all our gear together in the car, and go off to some gig. We did uh, country pubs. We did um, pubs down at the, uh, at the beach. We did restaurants. <laughs> we did a few regular appearances as well um i think uh I, i'm not 100 percent sure but i think warren was actually recognized once out and about um i was recognized once out and about as well as being you know someone in the band called 11 which was uh a bit of a shock and quite um i don't know like an uh out of body experience <laughs> it was weird for someone to go hey do you play in a band called 11 I like, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> they didn't ask for my autograph, though, which is unfortunate. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I don't know. It was, it was kind of cool. So that kid, you know, little Luke, <laughs> back in the day who was uh, dancing in front of a, a window curtain, imagining that there was a crowd of people going, yeah, Luke, shake your money maker – Um, you know, impressing my family with the fact that I could play Love Me Tender on a Casio keyboard, Um, playing with all my mates, um, all four of us at gigs as well, at birthday parties and stuff like that, Um, to now suddenly, you know, locally performing band around town. I don't know. It was kind of cool. It sounds like I've got a really big head. I don't mean that. I just mean... It was a culmination of all these things, listening to all this, growing up on all this different type of music, absorbing it and loving it and um, learning it and, and writing my songs, turning um, teenage angst and, and other uh, pain that I had through the years, turning those into songs that I could sing to people without them really knowing. You know, I, I don't know. It was therapeutic as well. Uh being there with my bro- my brother as well, Big Was, you know, him smashing out some awesome guitar playing. He was always so humble. He was always so, like, uh, to the point of, like, nauseam where he <laughs> would be like, oh, I don't really think I'm that good. Fuck, it would drive me nuts. But it didn't matter how many people came up after the gig, after the performance, to say, man, love your guitar playing. How do you do this? Oh, what's the box all about? Like, what do you do? Oh, that's cool. You know, he still wouldn't believe that he was good. <laughs> anyway, that's big was. Um and look, I mean, you know, I, I guess I guess for me it was um Yes, there's the on-stage persona of like, hey, how you going? And we're eleven, and and I developed that uh, persona over time to be more confident, more engaging, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I I was in sales for a very long time as well, um, and that helped build the confidence, all that kind of stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is it all culminated into this um, dynamic duo of these two blokes who had experienced bands. Who had lived through the grunge era, who um, uh, were talented to a degree, I guess. <laughs> Warren's very, very talented. Let me just say, but I think um, I'm, I'm a, I take second place in his skills. Like he he can pick up a guitar and nail a song pretty bloody quickly, whereas I can't do that with a guitar, with a drum kit, or with a keyboard. Um, or with singing as well I've never I've never claimed that I'm a singer I I enjoy singing but I say that I'm more of a vocalist I can I can find the right notes and I can I can put the feeling into it and blah 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 but I I don't think I'm one of these um people that can do vocal um I don't know I don't know some singers out there just absolutely blow my mind. I don't think I'm one of those. I think I just give it my all and hope for the best, put it that way. Um, so we had some standout gigs. We had some real shining moments. Um, we, uh, our album launch, for example, that was a huge night, a great fun night. Uh, we had our friends and family there. Uh, my sister, Julie, actually flew all the way down from Queensland just for that gig which blew my mind. I was I was so excited about that. It was so cool, uh, and it was just a brilliant night. We had back, we we organised backup bands as well to come. You know to play. We were the headliner, of course, and uh, we had these other bands come and play for us. They were great. And it really set the mood, set the vibe. We had a great crowd. Um, there was a couple of hundred people there. It was it was good fun. It was really, really good fun. Um, as a bit of a spin-off from Eleven, um, there was a friend of ours at the time who the the bloke was heavily into blues music. And um, he, he actually helped us out on the album and uh, with a couple of songs. And he also uh, was a great musician in his own right, and he and I actually formed a a band called Secret Men's Business, and we had we had uh, we had that going for a time. Did a couple of gigs, I think, as a sort of a supporting act to Eleven. So I was singing in <laughs> Secret Men's Business, and then would jump into Eleven and sing for Eleven as well. So it was it was good times. Um, it was very old school sort of blues. Really, really cool though. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was around about that time as well that I I really got into Johnny Cash, uh got into his lyrics, got into his storytelling and also Tom Waits for the same reasons, his storytelling and his style it was just really really cool. Um and honestly, it was a great period of time. I I was I was writing a lot. Um well, when I say it was a great period of time, it was a great, <laughs> it was a great period of time as far as us musically, but uh Personally, I was going through some shit. I won't go into that too much detail because this is just a podcast. Um, but it, it, I, I guess the music gave me balance. I had my, my daughters and I had the music and that really gave me um, the drive to keep going and to have that nice balance in my life. There was always something to look forward to, you know, um, Anyway, so so 2014 sort of wrapped up, and uh, that was the end of eleven. Uh, we sort of just decided, yeah, we we'd had enough. It was get, it was honestly getting to a point where we could, like I said before, we could have easily have done gig after gig after gig. But I don't know. I guess all great things come to an end, and and even though Big Was likes to say we're on a, a, a hiatus, <laughs> um, you know, it's been eight years. <laughs> How long does a hiatus last? I don't know. But I feel like uh, that particular band is done and dusted. But I look back very, very fondly. We had some great nights. We really did. Um, I do have some regrets as well because I often left Big Was to do all the setup and, and the heavy lifting while I was, uh, inverted commas, you know, um, networking, <laughs> and getting to know the audience and having a few pints of lager, basically. Um, but I think towards the end there, I started to go, hang on a minute, this is unfair. I need to uh, help Big Was out with setting shit up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. I was a bit nuts back then. What can I say? Um, <laughs> so then that was the end of 2014. And then the music stopped. It really did. But then, after a again, I won't go into too much da- detail. But then, after a very, very sad life-changing event um, for one of our mates and for all of us, but one of our mates in particular, um, we reformed the old band, the old lineup of Skirmish: me, Big Was, the Gorgeous Glen, and Little Keith. And now, to this day, two thousand and twenty-two, we've been getting together. So for the last five years, as often as we can. Not because we want to do gigs, not because we want to release an album. It's just simply for fun. It's just simply for camaraderie. We love it. We have a lot of fun doing it. Um, we really, really just bounce off each other really well. Um, and it's good. It's a bit of escapism as well. We have a bit of a laugh with each other, but it's mainly about smashing out some tunes Um the music has definitely got heavier I don't know why, but it just has it just naturally evolved into some sort of heavier sounds um, and it yeah it's just great fun uh, on the side of that big was and I we still jam together occasionally um, usually it's sort of a weird swampy blues kind of stuff that we're doing um, but we also do the odd cover here and there too <music> hope you've enjoyed episode one six three. I know it's been a bit, probably uh, self indulgent <laughs> in a way, but I don't know. I guess I just wanted to um, give you a bit of a musical journey, my personal musical journey. It's been it's been a roller coaster in in a, in a sense, I suppose, because uh, I guess when I, you know, as that kid playing on the rug. Playing with my soldiers, listening to Rolling Stones that Dad was playing. I guess I never really thought at that point that I'd be in a performing band. I never thought I'd be recording an album. Um, I never thought I'd be playing the drums or anything like that. You know, so it's been it's been a bit of a trip, and I've really got to say a big thank you to my parents for um, being the cool parents that they are, and. Yeah, just naturally instilling me, instilling in me um that music, that awesome bloody music. I can't I can't rave about it enough. Um music really does save. I, I I've I've been through some shit, like most people, and I'm quick to turn to music to help. You know, does that make sense? Um, I think music can really make you feel, I think it can make you feel like I mentioned about like, uh, Pantera. It can make you feel pumped up, revved up, ready to fucking burn shit. I don't know. Um, it can get you in the mood for, uh, going out on a night on the town for a few drinks with the boys or whatever. It can make you feel a sense of despair, it can make you feel loved up um, like never before. It can make you feel anything you need it to make you feel, you know. And I think, I think it's magic. There's a, there's a certain kind of magic that comes with music, you know. And uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. I listen to it every single day. And, yeah, I, I can't rave about it enough. Anyway, so I hope you've enjoyed episode 163 of Fly on the Wall podcast. Big Waz will be back next week. We'll back to our normal programming. Um, I believe we're going to be covering – I'm going to cover swingers. <laughs> and Big Waz will be talking about um, carnies, you know, like uh, – what do you call them? Um, carnival people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It should be fun, I'm sure. We have fun no matter what we're talking about. We could be talking about the colour of bricks and we'll make it a good time and have a good... Bloody laugh about it. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, guys, if you enjoy the show in general, please follow us, rate us, review us, whatever you need to do. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your pets. Tell the strangers that you pass while you're walking your dog. Um, just grab them by the scruff of the neck, throw them up against the wall, and go, "Hey, you! Listen to Fly in the Wall Podcast." And then send them the link. Um, I've enjoyed this episode. I Hope you have to. Um, I'm going to polish off the rest of this Penfolds Club Tawny Port because it's quite delicious, and I'm also going to leave you with my favourite cover song that me and Warren have ever done. It's uh, it's something we've done in more recent times. I've always enjoyed um, our version of Folsom Prison Blues. I've always thought that was a real cool rocker. Um, but this one that we've done in more recent years, uh, I don't know, there's something about it. I think we did it last year, actually, 2021. Um, yeah, there's something about it. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's dark. It's atmospheric. It's, it's yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. Um, it's called The Sound of Silence, originally done by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. So I'm going to leave you with that song. I hope you enjoy it. Um, what else is there to say except for, be good to yourselves and be good to your goats.
0: Hello darkness my old friend, I've come to talk with you again, because the vision's softly keeping in while I was sleeping and the vision planted in my brain still remains it is the sound of silence the streams I walked along narrow streets of cobblestone neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp when my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touch the sound of silence. And in the naked light, I saw ten thousand people, maybe more. People talking with. Listening without hearing People writing songs That voices never share No one dared Disturb the sound Of silence Fool said I you do not know cancer grows Hear my words that I might teach you Save my eyes
1: The signs said the words of the Prophet O'Rebel on
0: the subway walls And tenement halls Whispered in the sounds of silence